Now, we're going to get into lesson 20 right now. We're going to look at Isaiah 52, verse 12, through Isaiah 53, verse 13. Now, this is a very, very important passage of Scripture because it really is describing the suffering Messiah, okay? And the suffering that he would go through. Now, if you have questions as we go through it, just raise your hand, speak up. We'll address them as we go. I'm going to ask you some questions as we go as well. Now, again, I want to remind you that in Jesus' day, when he was ministering among the Jews then, all right, they, they already had Isaiah for several hundred years, okay? And Isaiah was very much, they called it the vision the vision of Isaiah is how they would refer to it. The vision of Isaiah. They already had it for 700 years. And from that, they gathered what they needed to know about the Messiah. But I'm going to point out to you one shocking thing that they did not see. They did not see the servant in this passage as the Messiah. So the whole concept of the servant suffering and the servant being the Messiah just was over their head. They couldn't comprehend it. They couldn't understand it. And that's why when you go to the Gospels, when Jesus starts talking about that he's going to suffer and die, Peter's rebuking him. The disciples just can't grasp that. Why? Because that wasn't the way they thought in their current time. It was hidden from them that this passage was about the suffering that the Messiah would go through. So it's, that's, a, that's something that's an interesting thing to realize. And you wonder, what is it that we don't see, but we'll see later? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And what we know is what we need to know right now. Okay, so let's look at this together. We're going to start off in... Uh, chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, and we're going to see the reaction to the servant, okay? So again, remember, the servant is the Messiah, all right? So first thing I want you to notice is that the servant will act wisely and do what the Lord wants him to do. So the first thing you're going to notice is, is that Jesus is no independent agent uh, the Messiah is not just doing his own thing. He's acting wisely while he was among us. And he's doing what the Father wanted him to do. Okay? Doing what the Father wanted. Doing what the Lord wants him to do. So that's the first thing I want you to notice there. It also says that the servant will be highly exalted. Okay? Highly exalted. Now... It says in the passage that he is lifted up. So if you look with me, uh, verse 13, he will be exalted and extolled and be very high. That's not referring to his death, but his exaltation. Okay, because sometimes when we think of the concept of being lifted up, we think about what Jesus said, if I'm not lifted up, meaning the cross, that's not what Isaiah is talking about. It's about elevating. It's about exalting, okay? Now, the prophet states that many will be appalled at the servant. 
So he's making it very clear that many people aren't going to be happy about him. They're going to be appalled at him. And you know what? We've been going through the Gospel of John, right, in the morning messages. Hasn't that been true? They're not exactly excited about Jesus. In fact, they're out to, what, kill him? And think about why. Why were they out to kill him? Because he wasn't doing it the way they thought that he should be doing it, okay? So the servant will sprinkle or cleanse many nations. So this Messiah is going to sprinkle or cleanse many nations. So he's not just focused on one nation, that's Israel. He's going to cleanse many nations. Now, how does he do that? Anybody got a concept of how he will cleanse many nations? Yeah, through his blood, through his sacrifice. And by his sacrifice, we have what? Forgiveness, salvation. Okay, and so the cleansing comes because of his sacrifice. And that's open not just to Israel, but that's open to who? Boy, you guys need some coffee flowing today. Yeah, all believers, everyone, no matter what nation, right? Okay. Now, the kings will shut their mouths at the reality of who the servant really is. Really? Is that happening right now? I see no. People are worried, mouthing no. We must be nervous to speak out. No, right? Why do you think they're, they're, they're not willing to do that right now? Okay, number one, they don't want to. What else? Blind. Do they understand who he is? No, not necessarily, right? That gets to the blindness part. They don't truly understand. And so some of them will what? Mock him? Did you understand what I'm saying? And, and the reality is, is that when they realize who he is, whether they stand before him in the final judgment or they're here when he comes back in all of his glory, they're basically going to be quiet, right? They're going to realize, oh my goodness, what I can't speak. Wish I could take back my words, right? But you can't take back your words, right? So the king will shut their mouths. And, and look, it's interesting. Here's an interesting psalm for you. Psalm 2. Listen to what the psalmist writes. And this is kind of reflective of what we see here in this passage. The psalmist writes, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Now here's what the psalmist writes. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And the Lord shall hold them in derision. And then he shall speak to them in his wrath. 
and distress them in his deep pleasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. That, that's a prophecy concerning God and the reaction of the nations and the kings to him. And he says, how does God view them when they do that? He laughs at them, right? And ultimately, who has the final say in the matter? God does, right? Isn't that, That's an awesome parallel passage that we see there. Now, at that point, the kings will truly see what they did not understand before. And it's not just the kings, right? I think everybody at that point will truly see what they did not understand before. Now, can I tell you why? The blindness will be lifted. And who's blinding their eyes right now? Yeah, Satan. He's the deceiver. And so when that has ended, they will truly see and truly understand. And then, but, but at that point, is it too late? Yeah, it's too late, okay? So now that brings us to Isaiah 53. And we're going to look, first of all, at verses 1 to 12. And because of the importance of this passage, I'm going to read it to you, okay? If you want to, you can follow along. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Of all of iniquity of us all. He has oppressed and has and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before the shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, was, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. 
for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's quite a passage, isn't it? And, and as you read that, we kind of know who it's talking about, right? So remember, when Isaiah wrote this, up until the time of Jesus, they didn't see it. The disciples didn't see it. That's amazing, isn't it? And that's because they entered into the text with a presupposition. What presupposition, George? This can't happen to the Messiah. It's got to be somebody else. It's got to be somebody else. But let's take a look at it. So we're going to see the death of the servant. First of all, Israel's rejection of the servant. We see that in verses 1 to 3. Few people will believe the report concerning the servant. That's even true today. You go to, to those who hold to the Jewish faith and you tell them this passage is in reference to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, they won't believe you. They won't believe you. Few will believe the report, okay? Few people will believe that the servant came for the Lord. They, they, they won't believe that this guy and what he's enduring was, is doing this because the Lord wanted him to endure, to endure it. So they're not going to see this. There was nothing about the servant's appearance to draw attention of others. There was nothing about the way that Jesus looked that was what drew people to him. A lot of scholars would say this, guys. They would say that Jesus probably was just an average-looking guy. He probably looked very Jewish, just to be very honest with you. I know that most of our Renaissance art reflects Jesus as being this really nice-looking guy, but it's very European. Jesus is from, was born in the Mediterranean of a Jewish maid. He probably very much reflected Jewish looks. And being an average guy, there's nothing about him that would have been like, whoa, check this guy out. Nobody would have said that. What was it that drew people to Jesus? It wasn't the way that he looked. It was what he did. And even his teaching. Okay, so there was nothing about the servant's appearance to draw the attention of others. They despised and rejected the servant who experienced suffering and sorrows. That's a natural human reaction. Folks, typically, we don't like to admit this, but it doesn't matter what culture you're in, what nation you're in, when somebody is going through problems... The typical response is, they must have done something to experience that. And we have a tendency to reject those who are going through problems. We want to stay away from them, like maybe something's going to happen to us. And so they despised and rejected this, this servant, the Messiah, we know him as Jesus, because he experienced suffering and sorrows. They were repulsed by him and did not consider him important. Isn't that amazing? They were repulsed by him and did not consider him important. 
So then in verses 4 to 6, we're going to see his substitutionary death. The writer Isaiah is going to make it very clear that his death is for a purpose. What purpose? He's our substitute. What do you mean our substitute? Okay, so let me ask you a question. What's the penalty of sin? Death. Who's supposed to experience that death because of sin? Yeah, we are. But who took our place? Jesus did, right? He's the substitute. And we're going to see that here. So the servant bore our sickness and sorrows even though we thought he was punished by God. So when you look at the reaction of the crowd when he, then, when he is on the cross and the mocking that is listed there, there ba basically the crowd is saying, you're going through this because of you, but the reality is, as Isaiah is saying, no, it's because of our what? Our sickness and our sorrows. He bore those, okay? He bore those. The servant suffered for us because of our transgression and sins, So his enduring the suffering is because of what, folks? I hear, I hear very, I, I, my ears are not good anymore. When I was a young college student, I was stupid, okay? What's that? Our sins. Our sins, yes. You, you interrupted my story, Bruce, okay? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? When I was a young college student, I was stupid. I did two things that were very very wrong. Like, I, I had a job working for the airlines. I worked on at the Columbia Airport for Piedmont Airlines. And sometimes I'd work around those jets without my hearing protection on. Didn't think anything of it. I'm just a young guy. It doesn't matter. Well, now these, I'm getting older. It's mattering. The other thing is, is I listen to a lot of rock and roll. Loud! You know what I'm saying? Putting amplifiers in my car and everything. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really affecting me. So when you're like... I can't hear you. I don't even read lips, okay? And Bruce said it, sins. It's our sins. It's our sins that put him on the cross. Period. Your sin, not somebody else's sin. Your sin. Which sins? All of them. Put him on the cross, okay? Here we go. The servant endured suffering for our peace and healing. So it wasn't just to pay for our sin. It's so that you would have what? Peace and healing. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So again, he's enduring for our, for our sorrows and our suffering. He's enduring for our, our transgressions and iniquity. Here he's enduring so what? You and I can have peace and what? Healing. Now what do you mean peace, George? Hey, do you know what it's like to carry regrets? Do you know what it's like to carry the guilt and the shame? Do they leave you at peace at night? Do they come to you at... Do they come to you? Yeah, sometimes at the most inopportune moment, it'll come to you. Oh, I did that. Do you know what I'm saying? And it is for our peace that he suffered, okay? So we are like sheep who have gone astray and acted on our own, okay? Kind of like sheep who've gone astray, we're doing our own thing, 
and uh, we acted on our own. So it's kind of like, you know, we, when we go down to Lori's, uh, where, the farm where Lori's parents are, live, you know, we have to drive through the Smicksburg area, and of course there's lots of Amish men, and I noticed this year in particular that the, there seems to be quite a few of the Amish raising sheep now, okay? And so you drive by and you see all these sheep everywhere. And every once in a while, when we're heading back here to Kerwinsville from that area, I'll see one of the sheep outside of the fence walking along the road, just eating here and there the choice delicacies of the weeds that are growing along the road, okay? What, what is that sheep? He's gone astray because the rest of the flock is where? Somewhere behind a fence. And that guy made it out of the fence, and he's, I've seen this now two or three times, and, and this one, where's he going? After doing his own thing, right? And that's what he's describing us as. We're like sheep who've gone astray and, and acted on our own. Isn't that sin, though? Sin is doing your own thing, right? The Lord placed our iniquity upon the servant. So again, he's reiterating the point your iniquity, your sin, your transgressions were what? Put on Jesus, okay? He, they were put on the Lord. Now, the servant was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth in protest. He didn't open in protest. Now, why would he not open it in protest? It's not a hard question. Think about it for a moment. Why would Jesus not be like, oh, why does this happen to me? You got the wrong guy. Why would he not do that? He's doing the Father's will. What were you going to say, Gene? Same thing as Mike. Yeah, he knew why he was going. He knew this is his hour. Remember, that's the phrase we've been seeing in John. My hour has not yet come. Now we are at the point where it's Thursday and he says, my hour is here. The Father is going to be glorified. I'm going to be glorified. He knows the purpose that he's supposed to go do. And so here's Isaiah 700 years before saying he's going to be oppressed and afflicted, but he's not going to open his mouth in protest. He's not going to be like, you guys got it all wrong. You don't know what you're doing, you know. The servant was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. Helpless. Yeah, if you think about it, we're not talking about a sheep, we're talking about a lamb. A youngling being led to the slaughter. After his oppression and judgment, he was led to his death. Yeah, and if you think about the experience that we have in the Gospels, he was taken from the moment that he was taken, he was what? Being mocked and beaten, he was turned over to the Romans. They, of course, what had him scourged, which was a brutal process in that thinking and that way of handling prisoners and so forth. And so it was oppression. And even being led up uh, the road to the Golgotha, the oppression that he would have faced, the mocking and everything, all of that, he's being led up to his death. He's experienced the trauma of all of that. He dies for the transgressions of the people. So he died for us. That's why he endured it. That's what he had to go through. So we see the death of the servant here. He was intended to be buried with the wicked, but was buried with the 
with the rich. See, if they didn't have a grave for Jesus, a criminal would have been just buried in some unmarked grave somewhere among the wicked. He was intended for that, but where did he end up? He ended up in an unused tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. What? A rich tomb. A tomb meant for somebody who had wealth and so forth. And Isaiah is pointing this out. You know, think, stop for a moment. If you're the disciples and you're, you're reading as Isaiah after Jesus has ascended and he's giving you all this and you come to this chapter, I would be like, whoa, why did I see this? Because it's all here, right? It's all here. The servant suffered death even though he did not do wrong and spoke no lies. He was perfect, sinless. He suffered to death, the perfect sacrifice for you and I. The suffering and death of the servant was the Lord's will. All right, there are some people who are out there, you may even see this on the internet, who will say that Jesus was just some hapless guy who just happened to be cruelly executed by the Romans and it, and it really was just mindless and whatever. I'm just going to tell you right now, no, no, no. This was planned from the beginning before time. This is where he was going. He knew he would go to the cross. And what? He would die for us. This was the Lord's will. He was obedient to the cross. Philippians chapter 2. Let me read you Philippians chapter 2. Okay? So if you go to Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but was made, made himself of no reputation. Stop for a moment. Sounds like Isaiah, right? Made himself of no repu, repu, reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Okay, again, sounds like Isaiah's prophecy. And what? And coming in the likeness of men... And being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He became obedient. Who's he obedient to? The Father. Okay, so Paul's reflecting on that in his letter to the Philippians. So the Lord made the servant an offering for sin. The perfect offering. Now, okay, so a lot of people, this escapes them, so I want to help you with this. Who were the sacrifices in the Old Testament supposed to be made for? So if you had to come to the temple with your sheep or your bull or your pigeon, depending on what social economic status you are and whether or not you had money to make the sacrifices and you came to make your sacrifice for sin, as was very much articulated by the law, who was that atonement, even on the Day of Atonement, who was that for? No, not for us. Who? who was, whose sin were they making atonement for? Their own. Now, who is their own? The children of Israel. That's the point I want you to make. 
Who's not included in that? Yeah, we're not. So when you talk about the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, we're not included in that. That was for the Jews. Now let's take it a little bit deep further. So first of all, with that, whoa, we're out there hanging, aren't we? There's nothing we could do, right? The old system didn't include us, okay? Now let me tell you what else the old system didn't include of. Does anybody know which sins were atoned for and which were not? For the Jew, what sins were atoned for and there would be forgiveness and what sins were not forgiven? You're right, Bruce. Intentional sins were not forgiven, but the sacrifice was for, are you ready for this, unintentional sins. Sins of ignorance. Sins that you committed without knowing that you were committing them. So your intentional sinning, are you ready for this, was not forgiven by the system. Now, that's not good, is it? Because most of our sins are intentional, right? All right, so here we come to the suffering servant, the Messiah, Jesus. He is the offering, the supreme offering for sin. Now, who is that forgiveness, that offering being made for? Who is it being made for? Unlike the old system, who's it being made for? Everyone, right? Now, for everyone, what sins are being atoned for? Yeah, all sins except one, really. Does anybody know what sin is not forgiven? Okay, now what is that, though? Yeah, not believing, right? Unbelief. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is ascribing to the Holy Spirit, is ascribing the works of the Holy Spirit to Satan. It's not believing in the works of God. That's what it is. And so here's what I want you to see. The Lord made the servant the offering for sin. So here, listen to me. How do you know you're forgiven? How do you know that you're forgiven? Yeah, God's word tells you you are. But why are you forgiven? Yeah, because Jesus paid it all. Do you understand? Did you have to do anything for that forgiveness? No, is it because of you? No, it's because of Jesus. The Lord made the servant an offering for sin. Now, even though he dies, the servant will see his spiritual offspring and live forever. Who's his spiritual offspring? Yeah, wait, raise your hand. That's me. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's me, all right? His death will satisfy and many will be justified by his sacrifice. That's a truth that we all understand, right? We're justified by his what? Sacrifice, okay? His death will satisfy the penalty for your sin. That was a good, good viewpoint. Now, here's the thing that blows my mind is they didn't see it. 
But it's very obvious to us, right? 